X-Ray. And welcome to the Beervana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How you doing? I'm pretty good. We're How are you back. Doing? We're back here in the studios of X-Ray FM in beautiful North Portland. Yeah. In the Falcon Art Building. We're getting close to the dead of winter. The longest night. We are kind of in the dead of winter. It's dark, 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 dark. Yeah, every we're, time- We're recording in the afternoon. When we get outside, <laughs> it's going to be dark. Well, last night I was sitting uh, in my living room and at 4.30, it, you know, you get a little bit of a skewed perception when you've got lights on inside and it gets dark outside. But uh, but 4.30, it looked like it was pretty much inky black out there. Yeah, it is. And it's pretty close. It's 4.30 right now as we record. <laughs> and it's probably inky black out there as we speak. And every time, every time I think about that and I start feeling depressed, I remember our trip- uh, to Britain. Oh yeah. And a trip up to Edinburgh. Yeah. And we are driving up to Edinburgh. Actually, we're, I think we're headed straight to the Bellhaven Brewery. Right. Uh, and this is, remind me what time it was. It was like late October, early November. It was November. It was November. Okay. So it was November. It was getting close to the shorter day of the year, but it was like two 30 in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. And I looked out and I'm like, Jeff, it's getting dark. Yeah, that first, there's that moment when uh, the the darkness first settles when you realize, wait, the light is changing. Yeah, it was like 2.30. And by like 3.30. We, I think by 3.30, we'd hit Edinburgh and it was just dark. Pitch, pitch black. You couldn't see anything. And I, yeah. you know, this is an, a city that I wasn't used to and I was driving through it and I just like, oh man, this is this is a little bit nerve, <laughs> nerve wracking. It's far north. So, yes, it's very north. So <laughs> that's what makes me feel better in these in these months. Yeah, just remember Edinburgh, those poor uh, saps. But yeah, there, there's not a lot of light left. In the, in the Oregon days. And now with the weather changed back to normal in the sense of gray, wet, it's even, even in the, in the bright part of the day, it's not that bright. <laughs> yeah. That we, we talked in our last pod about how this, uh, late fall has been very, a lot of sun and dry. And it, I, 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 I was aware that the uh, perception that I had as a dark city has so much to do with the clouds, because if you add clouds to these this phenomenon of early darkness, yep. uh, it makes it, you know, it feels, it feels much darker, much earlier. And, oh, for uh, sure. and, and when it's, when it's brilliantly sunny as it has been through, it was through a lot of November, uh, you know, you can, I was, I'm, I now have, we've been doing this renovation. I've been upstairs and I look out the window to the West and uh -huh. I was watching the sunset. I was watching the sunset in November in Portland. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah. That's uh, not normal. <laughs> that's not normal. Now, yeah, now you have no idea where the sun is in the sky. Yeah. Those bright, crisp, clear days that, you know, you get in like the upper Midwest, but right. yeah, in the evenings they're bright. Yeah. Especially when there's snow on the ground, but that's another story altogether. We don't get that much. No. Uh, so you are Jeff Allworth. True fact. Still? True that. Okay. True that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> By the way, I'd like to congratulate you because apparently you have passed the test and you're back to drinking beer. I think we mentioned that a couple of pods ago. Yeah, uh, I am. That's right. So, uh, my health situation is improved and not entirely resolved. But uh, one thing that I have resolved is that... Beer is not the culprit. Beer is not the culprit. So Thank uh, goodness. And in fact, it's in many ways the solution because if you're, if you're <laughs> yes. really itchy, it's much better to be drinking beer. <laughs> we don't want to go that road. Yeah. Alcohol is a solution to all your problems. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, but, trust uh, me, it's good. Therapeutic. Uh, okay, uh, you write books. You're writing the follow the sequel, the updated beer Bible right now. Yes, yeah, not a sequel, just updated. 
but yes, correct. Well, second edition. You should call it a sequel because apparently in Hollywood that's what sells. I uh, know that's not what this is going to be. The though. faster and the furiouser. So you'll be like the beer, <laughs> the more beer Bible. All the, the beer, better beer Bible. See, the thing is, it was comprehensive. So I, there's nothing else to talk about. It's like I did all the sequels in one. The New Testament. No, it's the New Testament. It's the Old Testament. It's the lost chapters. It's everything. The Book of Mormon. It's the, it's the Book of Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's the heart sutra. It's the whole damn thing. All I'm right, but you. you've written other things. You wrote, you wrote you wrote the Widmer Way, which is topical now because Widmer is a part of the Craft Brewing Brewers Alliance CBA, which was bought finally by Anheuser Busch. Yep, that's all true. Uh, and so you should go back, everyone, and read the Widmer Way and find out how it all started. It's true. Um, and I, you know, I'm I'm melancholy about all that. I I really think the Widmer brand is in jeopardy and uh yes, you know, it's a really important that brewery and i think uh, the not Portland the brand brewery is yeah. in jeopardy too which is sad yeah we have it, it was a really important brewery to this this city in the state and i don't know what's gonna happen to it so no. that's all sad now However, i'm melancholic i should drink beer yeah <laughs> <laughs> whenever you're depressed drinking always helps <laughs> speaking of solutions oh, to problems man. yeah we we should stop okay yeah uh, <laughs> not true that was a joke uh, hey, uh, if you're feeling down, have a cup of coffee instead. But we are back into the same conundrum we had a number of years ago, which is the following. We are in the heart of duck country, Oregon ducks. Oh yeah, Oregon ducks. But we are both graduates of the University, oh, University of Wisconsin dun, dun, and are dun. died in the wool badger fans. Yeah, baby. And so what does a badger... Why, why does that matter, Patrick? <laughs> and so what does a badger fan do when the badgers and the ducks are going to compete in the Rose Bowl and you live in Portland, Oregon? Uh, you start singing, I'm Wisconsin, I'm Wisconsin, punch right through, through that line. <laughs> March right down the fields, touchdown boys, every time, something like that. Yeah, there's a boys in there. But yeah, yeah. yeah That's right. all I know. And after that, it gets pretty abstruse. But. So in, so a few years ago, we went to Cerevesa, which is a wonderful beer bar. Yeah. Uh, I, and I don't know if that, are they keeping up the Wisconsin connection? Well, I don't a know. Because fans there. Yeah, well, you got to explain. So yeah, Sarah sorry. Pedersen, who was the owner, was a, was a, was a, Badger, badger, born and bred, born and bred badger, uh, fellow traveler, um, and uh, uh, and she uh, that became kind of a mecca for badger and and uh, Packer fans. Yep, I imagine it still does, but I don't know who who bought it. Uh, the uh, Jeremy Lewis and his partner who own Roscoe's. Uh, so good, really, really. Hopefully, they're not University of Oregon grads. We could have a problem. Yeah, well, they they may well be. I think they're both locals, so right. probably probably not like dedicated Wisconsin guys. <laughs> <laughs> because the Rose Bowl day is a day for a lot of lining kugels and and uh, badgers. Absolutely, can't, we can't get any. And the last Rose here. Bowl did not end well. So this year, I'm hoping for a turnaround. In fact, I'm expecting a turnaround. I think the, the ducks the, the suck. Come on, the badgers are clearly superior team but that doesn't mean they'll win but they're the superior team <laughs> yeah it, it'll be it'll be fun actually i think it's going to be a really good matchup i think it's going to be uh uh two contrasting it's the classic teams. big 10 uh pack, pack 10. 10 yeah, yeah it is it's, it's like, a real classic rose bowl and we, for, those, we, we for got, those of us old enough we we appreciate those things yeah yeah uh, it's, it's three cloud it's three yards and a cloud of dust versus some uh, skill skill play so listeners in the portland area let us know where a badger needs to go on rose bowl day to escape all of the annoying duck fans that's right badgers unite yeah uh we should all congregate in one place uh okay <laughs> so before we get started we'd like to thank freem family brewers for sponsoring this episode of the beer Vada podcast you can find them in Hood River, Oregon and at freembeer.com, P-F-R-I-E-M-B-E-E-R.com. 
Excellent work. See, I did that. I spelled it right this time. Yeah, you got it right on the money. <laughs> which is kind of important. Way to go, professor. Which is kind of important. <laughs> uh, yeah, but before we go, uh, Jonathan Taylor, the amazing running back from Wisconsin, following a long line of amazing running backs from Wisconsin. Yeah, uh, and it would be interesting to put him in that that pantheon. He's near the top. Ron I, Dane may be the top. I don't know, but he's, he's Well, that's, up that's there. exactly my point, which is he will be the top if he stays. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to stay, nah. which is too bad. Well, if I were a running back, I would never stay. I would get in the NFL as soon as possible because those guys have an expiration date that's so soon. Yeah, you got to cash in. You got to yeah. cash in now. I don't blame him at all, but it's going to be sad. Because he could have broken all the records. He could have every single running back record in NCAA. And maybe he'll want that. Maybe yeah. he'll want to stick around, but... I want that or like $10 million. Let me think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As an economist, what's your thought? No, I think you got to cash in when while you can. Yeah, right? especially that's, if you're a young that's, guy. That's transformational in he some could, of his life. He so. could break his leg next year playing for the Badgers. And if you got, ain't yep. got no contract, that's yep. no good. Yep. And the and the NFL's brutal because there's very little guaranteed money in the NFL. Right. So if you can be... A, the, the few people who get guaranteed money are the high draft picks. Right. First round draft picks, they get... Uh, one payday that's guaranteed, basically. Right. And it's not even that big because it's a rookie contract. Yeah. But you got to get that guaranteed money, right? Yeah. So it's it's a brutal, NFL's really brutal that way. Yeah. The, I did a whole uh, research, uh, uh, well, ended up with two papers, but a whole research project using NFL contracts. And that was one of the things that really stuck out to me and, because I was pretty naive, is how little is guaranteed. There's so much of your pay. It just depends on you being on a roster each week, and that's even, you know. Right, and we, we always focus at, on the, the that top 1% or 2% of the players that we know their names, and yep. they stay in the, the league forever, and they have a lot of money, and we think we, we extrapolate that to think that it, it yeah. applies to all the players. Exactly, that's really just doesn't. it. I mean, the, the, the heart of the data is in all the other players, right? All of the, the draft picks from round 2 to 8, or however many rounds there are, uh, you know, hundreds of players that you never hear about, rarely ever do much in the NFL and get their little payday and go and go away. It's, yeah. So please join us next time on our other podcast, Men Not Wearing Jackets, a discussion <laughs> of American football with Jeff and, <laughs> Jeff and Patrick. <laughs> uh, uh, but that, okay, so, so I'll put you on the spot. So we're going to watch the Badgers. Uh, what's, what? What's the best Wisconsin beer to have while you're watching the Badgers? Well, it would be uh, New Glarus, obviously. If we, but we can't get it here. We can't get so. New Glarus here. Yeah. yeah. So you got to go some bigger. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Liney's is a classic. We yeah. should go with Liney's. It's got to be none of that shandy crap. No, I no, want no, just no. like that's a Liney, just, yeah, Liney's. That's ridiculous. Liney yeah. flavored Liney. Yeah. Just this pure old Liney's. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Not the Pabst. That's, that's what I was gonna. Nah, it's not even made in Wisconsin anymore. Yeah. That's what I was gonna get. No, I mean, I'd drink Miller. My horse, if you said Pabst. Miller before Pabst. Yeah. Okay. Pabst is still, is Pabst still cool with the hipsters? Or have we moved on? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, Patrick, since I have my... Well, my... You, are, you, are, you are the author of the beer Bible. <laughs> yeah, but not, but not the hipster beer don't Bible. Dem don't demure now. Come on. <laughs> I have no idea what the kids speak, are drinking. Speak with authority. Yeah. I uh, think they're actually, I think they're drinking, they're drinking uh, hams, according to what, the, the tall boys that, around town. Yes. More hams, right. more hams. More hams than back. I know. Is hams even, where is hams brewed? Unknown. Uh, <laughs> absolutely unknown. <laughs> Probably in Hood River. Probably yeah. by full sales. Right? Uh, could be. All right, here we go. Uh, so we talked about how the days are closing in, getting dark, getting cold, getting wet, sometimes snowy. Yeah. So what do you want? We are just a few days away from the Christian celebration of Christmas, a big deal in many countries, including, of course, Belgium. And as with so much, this little country does things differently when it celebrates Christmas, from the steaming mugs of 
Glue Creek, thank you, <laughs> handed out in the Grand Place. Grand Place. Grand Place. Uh, so it's the French part. To the ubiquitous tradition of Bière de, de Noël, Christmas beers. In today's episode, we'll discuss these wonderful holiday ales and use them as an opportunity to consider the question of spicing in beer. When Americans spice their beer, it can be off-putting, but when Belgians do it, it's delicious. We'll examine why. All that soon, but first, the news. Important news out of Denmark. In a groundbreaking study by university researcher Elisavita Sopina, we have learned the answer to an ancient question. Does tapping a can of shaken beer reduce the amount of subsequent foam over? Foam over. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Sopina and her team used a sample of a thousand cans, half shaken, half not, and randomly tried tapping on half of them. There, there you go. go. Thank you. Yes. I uh, wanted to demonstrate that. That's very nice. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, the shocking results, tapping had no effect. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> it had no effect. Actually, the tapping usually happens on the top, right? So he's like this. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, of course it has no effect. That's ridiculous. I, yeah, it has I, It has no effect. Of course it has no effect. I was really shocked that somebody actually did this, but um, hey, they did, and it had no effect. I mean, it seems like that research sponsored by, <laughs> wait a minute, where was he? Denmark, uh, Carlsberg. Carlsberg. It could have been sponsored by Carlsberg. <laughs> Heck, I'll do that. Anyone want to sponsor uh, me? I'll do I know. research I think, on. I, I question our methods. We need to redo this. Yeah, you know, that can't be find, right. Find out if her, uh, our, our findings are accurate. What I'd like to know is uh, how much carbonation is released when you uh, open it and drink from the top or when you puncture it from the bottom and shotgun. shotgun. I was going to say. <laughs> so every, every, uh, oh, uh, every time I have to come up with the news, I, I, I keep a, a list, but sometimes I uh, don't have enough. So I'm, I'm searching on the internet. And uh, as I was searching on the internet, getting ready for this podcast, there was uh, a news story about Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. Oh, yeah. Shotgunning a beer at a concert. And I almost went with that. Uh, speaking of shotgunning and news, and here we are. And uh, now I've kind of done it. So there you go. <laughs> so the, so here's a metaphys metaphysical question. Uh, what would have happened if Nirvana never imploded? Well, that's not the wrong the wrong word. But if Nirvana still existed. <laughs> Kurt Cobain's what? head hadn't imploded. <laughs> God. See, I didn't go there. <laughs> I didn't go there. Man, it's been 25 years. It's okay. We are over it now. I think okay. I think it's not too soon. Yeah. Uh yeah, what uh what would happen to Dave Grohl? Would he have stayed in Nirvana as the drummer and just punked it away? Would he have had a little side project? I bet side project Or would to he begin just with. like dumped it and become a big megastar like he is now? I think I think side project to begin with and then uh and then it would have spun apart. He never would have been taken seriously, though, if Nirvana still existed, right? I mean, Kurt was a that. really fussy guy. He was probably kind of hard to collaborate with. And that gets weird oh, yeah, after, sure. yeah, after a while. So yeah, he usually breaks bands up. So Yeah. Well, Dave Grohl's a pretty talented guy, so he probably would have found his outlet. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, everyone was distracted by the Ballast Point sale a few weeks past. We talked about in the last podcast. The yep. sale of another important California, California brewery went mostly unnoticed. Anderson Valley changed hands when Kevin McGee, a wine and craft beer veteran, purchased the business from current owner Trey White. Although McGee plans to promote the brand more, little will change at the brewery. All 60 employees, including head brewer Fal Allen, will remain. 
Anderson Valley was founded in 1987. Yeah, it's one of the oldest. Yeah, that's a brewery. Do you have a connection to that brewery? It's kind of in your old stomping grounds. I don't really have a connection, but yeah, it's just been, I mean, it's been in my consciousness yeah. forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I know, I think- it, I don't see it much anymore though, up here. I think that may be one of the issues. I, I, it, yeah. it does feel like a brand that uh, has always been one of those brands that, one of those breweries that made exceptional quality, like they've been really committed to good quality, That, but they made um, not- uh, florid beers. They made really standard, yeah, uh, exactly. low impact beers, and it, and that that's kind of the beers market. that you'd expect from 1987 and early yeah, 90s. That's right. Their packaging was also a little like rustic and right, staid. Yeah. They have that all that cool stuff of boont speech and all that stuff, which right. I always was always really drawn to. Right, so kind of cool. <laughs> uh, well, that's interesting. Um, yeah. These legacy legacy brands, I now call them. Yeah, this one's definitely legacy. 87, that's back in the day, man. Yeah, but I think years. they probably do have a, their little niche right in that area, um, Northern California. Um, yeah, so maybe they're still, they're still strong regionally. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, that's exciting. <laughs> I know. It, <laughs> I think the, the, one, the one thing I would say about it is, uh, I think we're just gonna see a lot more of this. Um, we're seeing now it's been 32 years. So this brewery is old and, um, you know, I don't know if this guy didn't have any heirs or maybe had no heirs who were interested in the brewery. And so it changed hands. And it seems like this is one of those it's things that you kind of expect to happen. And it, yeah. it doesn't, shouldn't actually really, in, in a certain sense, it's not really newsworthy at all. If it's just going to be like, nobody really cares who owns the company as long as the company continues right. to just make the same beer and do cool things. So. But you, you didn't put this down here, but, uh, isn't, uh, there's big news about um, New Belgium and, and associated New Glarus, right? I mean, not New Glarus. Oh, yeah, you're right. And Magnolia. I forgot about the sale. Of, uh, <laughs> that seems like bigger New news. New Belgium. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, a little bit of an over, All right, well, o- oversight we're, there. We're about to talk about Belgian beer, so we'll we'll put that on the New Belgian sale off till next time, I guess. I guess so. Unless you know off the top of your head. Well, the, the brewery. Facts. No, I don't know the facts. Yeah. It got sold. Yeah. And, it, and, it, uh, and it's, it's an interesting wrinkle there. So let's come back to that one. Okay. Yeah. We will come back to that. Yeah. Stay tuned. There's mm-hmm. a reason to tune in next time. <laughs> There's never any reason to tune in, but people still it's do. It's not our charming personalities <laughs> or professionalism. Something has got to. Okay. Anyway. All right. Uh, so the main topic is yeah. winter or Christmas beers. Yeah. yeah beer what, do, what do we call them? So in, in uh, Belgium, it's still okay to call them Christmas beers. In the US, we call them winter beers. Yeah. Well, in Belgium, they actually call them Beer de Noël, which is sort of like Christmas, but... Um, but, yeah, basically. But Noel is not exactly, it doesn't have the word Christ in it, so it's different. So maybe. Okay. Yeah. I don't if, know. If you say so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, reason, the reason it's interesting is because while many countries have winter beer traditions, uh, very few have uh, the tradition that Belgium has for the beer de Noel, which is basically every brewery makes one of these things. They are, it is the one... Uh, seasonal style that every brewery feels like they have to make and right. it is a really big ass deal. So everybody loves these beers and they go crazy for them. And and it's the run up to the, the holidays, uh, all these breweries make them. And uh, they're, they're, they're quite good and interesting. And f- for some reason, even though there are some examples have always been available in the United States, they're kind of unknown and I wish more people would know about them so i'm going to mention that so here we are so here we are and we have we have three beers and and one of them is actually an example from the united states which is in that exact same tradition which is one of the more famous beers that we have here and we'll try that as well cool uh 
the American tradition of winter beers is yeah. different. It is. So there's there's other traditions, like there's Oktoberfest. Yes. Uh, we have our winter warmer thing, which is also an English tradition. Right. Uh, and those are uh, less specifically focused on on Christmas uh, or have a Christmas theme right. in the way that uh, uh, in, 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 in Belgium, where beer is still a very big deal and most people drink beer, mm-hmm. uh, it is a, you know, it's like, we, everybody has their Christmas, uh, all, all Christian countries have all these things that are associated with the Christmas holiday. Uh, and in Belgium, one of them is you're going to go and have one of these strong, dark spiced beers and it's sweet and it's got this gentle, lovely, not cloying not overwhelming spice. Kind of like mold wine in Scandinavia. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and they're very strong. So warming and. Right. So what I was going to say is the profile, if someone told me about a winter beer in the U S I would expect a darker beer. Uh-huh. More alcohol, right? Often spice, uh, sometimes barrel aged and things like that. But that's basically the profile. I'm, you know, heavier, darker, more malt forward with spice. Yeah, okay. and that that's exactly what the the Belgians are doing. Okay. So uh, one thing that I learned relatively recently is that this is not an ancient tradition in oh. Belgium. Okay. It only dates back to right around the year 1900. Ah. Believe it or not. That is odd. And it is a consequence of an import beer, which is also fascinating. Uh, the uh, Right around the turn of the century was a period when Scottish ales were being imported into uh, Belgium at, in great quantities. Okay. Um, there were, I read a wonderful thing at uh, uh, the site Lost Loggers, which talks about uh, uh, brewing history. Right. And they mentioned that... Uh, the number of imports from Scotland tripled between 1890 and 1900. And we still see the remnants of the Scottish uh, wave. Uh, there are still examples of Scotch ales being made by by Belgians. So what was a Scotch ale like in 1900? I don't know. It was not that clear what the Scottish style was. The mm-hmm. Scottish beers of the time were, were, you know, going back to the Edinburgh ales uh, from uh, a century earlier, Scotland has always been a big exporting country, and so it actually exported a lot of beer. Right. And I, my guess is that the ones they were exporting are, are like descendants of the Edinburgh Ale, probably bigger and stronger and uh, more robust beers. Um, but I I don't know so much about what... But darker and more malt forward. Yeah. I don't know about darker. Probably. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that is the type of beer that Belgium was uh, importing, and that would be the subject of some... Right. Further. Uh, but so that beer that they imported was labeled as Christmas beer. Yeah. So the interesting thing is apparently the Scottish were making Christmas beers because they were, they started to import Christmas beers and they oh. called them in Belgium Christmas beer. Oh, okay. And it was, uh, you know, if you searched around the uh, uh, advertisements of the day, you didn't find beer de Noel, you found Christmas beer. Oh, okay. Kind of fascinating. Right. Uh, and, um, and then beer de Noel, which of course is the, the French and there's a there's a, a Dutch translation of beer de Noël as well, which I didn't I have never it does not seem to be that common commonly used. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure it, among Flemish speakers more commonly used, but uh, <laughs> for for export purposes less commonly used. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I didn't I, I don't have that info here, but um, that of course what what came in over time, especially probably as the uh, the power of the Scottish brand waned. Right. And then 
the Belgians did exactly what they always do, which is they take a brand, uh, take a, a style of beer from another country and immediately garble it in such a way that it's unrecognizable. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with the original uh, country. And so as beer and wells um, became more and more popular, uh, they became, they developed this character of having a, uh, the, the Belgian quality there, as you described, darker, they're almost always dark, not always. We have two examples here and one is, one is an outlier and one is totally typical. And mm -hmm. I wanted to have that cause you can't have, there, there are definite, there's, there's no style here. So right. different kinds of things that you can do. Um, but, uh, stronger, darker, and usually spiced. Those are the things that are expected and sweeter. So warming and. You know, oh, yeah, sweetness is that's that's true. That's another kind of classic, yeah, flavor profile. Sure, totally. So, <clears throat> while we're doing that, what I have got one here that I think is a perfect example of that kind of beer, and we should we should crack that sucker open. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. That's always a good idea. And you knew exactly which one it was going to be. I did. <laughs> Do you know this beer? Have you had this beer before? I have not, not that I'm aware of. Somehow, you still knew. Uh, I knew based on your description that one was classic and one wasn't. You saw the name of the other brewery and you felt like that was likely to be the unclassical. Yep. I had a good feeling. Well, you are a clever man. Ah. Ah. That's the power of Edwina. So yes. what do we have? What is this? So this is uh, St. Bernardus uh, Christmas Ale, which they call Christmas Ale. And St. Bernardus is a brewery in Watu, which Watu? for about 40 years brewed the beer for West Flederen's Abbey uh, before they took the brewing back West Flederen in the nineties and, uh, St. Bernardus went on to just be a secular brewery making mm -hmm. their own beer. Okay. And this is, uh, a spiced dark winter ale, uh, beer de Noel or this Christmas is, ale. I guess. This is a 10% ABV beer. Typical. That's typical. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, so that, that warms you up mighty fast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> these are strong for Belgian standards and Belgian beers are strong. Are strong. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, pretty typical. So as you can see, it's quite dark. Very it's got, dark. Yeah. Got a pretty light head, which is typical. It's, we would expect from that light head going yeah. back to our flavor conversation yes. that, uh, there's probably not a lot of, uh, heavily roasted malts here or else it would have a thicker head. Right. And it's, yeah. Light colored and light in. Right. Also light bodied. Mm -hmm. So that's got that classic profile. Ooh. Mm. Uh, candy-like malts with mm -hmm. uh, gentle spicing. Yeah. Uh, Very subtle spicing, which is nice. Yeah, it's clearly spiced it's and we're going to... In the background, right? Not, yeah. Not not hitting you in the face. Totally. We're going to talk about spicing later, but um, the Belgians have mastered this. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those beers which is very clearly spiced, but kind of not obvious which spices are used. Could you guess? I, I, don't, I don't have an answer, so if you guess, <laughs> I, no. can't, I can't tell you. I'm not very good with spice in general, and I'm, I, I just often find it off-putting, which is maybe one reason I'm not very good at it. I don't, I don't focus on it. I like to ignore it. Yeah. Uh, but this is not like that at all. This is very much in the background, a very sort of really nice kind of background music to the, to the, the main event, which is the beer itself. Yeah. They, <clears throat> it's, it's also uh, typical that when you taste these things, they taste like Christmas, weirdly. I don't know how, <laughs> why that would be the case. Um, so I'm I'm thinking maybe it's cinnamon it's, and it's your, ginger or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. There's a... Yeah, it's hard to say. 
So are they using their typical house yeast in this? So yeah, still I would put, putting out all the same esters. We're just now in a different presentation. I would assume so. And uh, the the there's a fast, fascinating story here. The the yeast that St. Bernardus used, uses mm-hmm. is West Vletteran's old yeast. Uh-huh. So when they took over brewing for the monks, the monks told them how to brew, uh, gave them their yeast, uh-huh. told them everything. And when the monks took their brewing back, they started sourcing their yeast from Westmall. Ah. So they're actually not using their original yeast, but uh, St. Bernardus is. Uh, <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Uh, this It's not an especially I feel like you've yeast. mentioned it on the podcast in the past, but... Yeah, I'm that's probably. A fun, that's a fun fact. I know. If we the longer we do this podcast, the more it's just going to be me repeating <laughs> yeah, the same no, things over and over, and over again. I, <laughs> I, I reached that point long ago, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to talk. I guess we can start now too, if we want, um, about the, how the Belgians pull this off. Yeah, uh, let's talk about that. And wait uh, a minute, you want to talk about other examples though before we go on? Yeah. Why, why don't you just let us? Because this is the Saint Bernardus. Right. What are other good examples of Christmas beers? So other examples. Uh, that you can find in the United States that are good, that I would recommend, mm-hmm. are saint Fouyen Cuvée de Noël, okay. which is uh, very much in this mode. Right. It is a dark spice strong ale. Yeah. Uh, Dole Brower's Stillnacht, uh-huh. which is not in this style. It is a, a pale beer, and it, it's also very strong. Um, a, a wonderful, rich beer that uh, is its own thing. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing about Belgium. Uh, even breweries that try to brew to style don't usually pull it off. Mm-hmm. So uh, another one is uh, Dubuisson Bouche de Noël, uh, mm-hmm. which it's sold in the United States as Scaldus. Okay. And that one is an amber beer. It's not, um, it's not fully dark. And it is 12%. And Ooh. that sucker is, um, it's all about the malt and the, the density. It's, right. it's more like a barley wine almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another one, the most common that you can find is Delirium Noel, so by Delirium Tremens Brewery. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that one is, again, in this style, strong, dark, spiced. Right. So you can get kind of a, a mix. And then we have uh, a, 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 the the final one that you can find fairly regularly, which uh, I haven't actually had in a couple of years, but in, in my memory is one of the best beers in the world, is Brasserie du Ponce. You're going to have to help me with this. Avec uh, les bons... Avec les bons vieux. No, vieux. bon vœux. Vœux. Yes. So, uh, season's greetings from DuPont or something like that. With with best wishes or something. Yeah. Right, right, yep. Uh, which is uh, their Christmas ale, and it's um, it's just a de- DuPont beer. So done in the DuPont style. Vieille bière sur les non-filarés, an unfiltered old beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Their we'll, regular... We'll uh, yeah, their regular... Saison uh, is also, you say VL, VL beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's VL Provision. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So I think this indicates the, the old style beer or the Saison style beer. So that'll be fun. Nice. So they, you know, just whatever seems special and cool is, is part of the, the tradition there. So, right. Yeah. It's Christmas after yeah. all. So. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the skill in spicing. I had a chapter in my book, uh, Secrets of Master Brewers. Yes. Uh, which is about Beard and Well, because I really like the style and uh, uh-huh. there's not so much info about it or talk of it. And I talked to Alexi Briol, who is the head brewer at 
San Fuyen, which I just mentioned. Right. And uh, we, so I, we talked, we had an exchange. It was really cool. My, when I wrote that book, I had this thing where I would uh, have an expectation of what I wanted from the brewer and hope to get that back. And uh, in some cases, the expectation was for a very specific thing, which I knew very well. Like, you know, if I wanted to get uh, information about a Bavarian uh, Hellas, that's a very specific style. I want them to talk about Bavarian Hellas. Right. Sometimes I didn't really know what I was talking about. (laughs) I want you to do something about that beer that you do and uh, like talk about something larger. And so when I talked to Alexi, we were going back and forth and I was really hoping that he would um, get into the subtlety aspect, which I feel is so important with with Belgians. And I was delighted that that was totally his orientation. Right. So uh, he he talked a lot about uh, the the nature of spicing uh, and how to use it. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, and I have him, I have a quote here. Uh, he said, spices are very powerful, much more than hops in some cases. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, the different types of things that are actual, what we call spices. But some spices like cardamom and mm-hmm. uh, pink peppercorn is another one that I think of that are, they're, just extraordinarily strong and right. if you you can overdo them so easily it's so so easy to overdo them yeah um, so i'll just interject that this is one of the things that i'm really sensitive to it and it bothers me a lot and mm-hmm. i typically don't like american spice beers because i feel like brewers are too often going for the flavor right and not just that hint that sort of it sits there in the back which is how we often use spice in cooking right Right. I mean, sometimes, yes, there's like big, powerful flavors that we love and we throw in lots of spice. But oftentimes, especially a baking, I think in particular, that is just that little hint in the background. And that's what uh, I lament about American brewers and their use of spice. Yeah. Uh, we have a Cuban restaurant near our house. And I don't, I don't, I'm not by any means an expert on Cuban cuisine, but it seems like Cuban cuisine is all based around subtle spicing that's, that's produced over layers and a long yeah. period of time. Uh-huh. And you get these. Uh, wonderfully rich cuisine with uh, not the intensity. It's not, you know, some sometimes uh, you'll go to a, a restaurant where spice is a big part of the cuisine and they just go for like blow your head off like a Thai place or something. Right, right. And uh, yeah. uh, that's that's the approach that uh, Alexi suggests you do for beer. And he, he continued and he said, uh, you know, these these spices are so intense. So don't put them in the boil. Like, don't try to extract everything out of them. You're not going to have any trouble with that. Right, right, right. He said, use warm infusion simply to avoid the aroma's evaporation. Uh-huh. Uh, and so so in his in his prescription, always put them in, after, don't put them in the boil. Right. So you pull too much off of that. Uh, and um, here's an interesting thing, which relates to what you said. He said, don't use expressive yeasts. Because they so often clash right. when you use spices. And I think that's really true. So the if you do happen to have an expressive house yeast of your, and you're a, a Belgian, you're going to ferment colder probably right. so that you can add the spices without having that clash. Right. Uh, unless you happen to be in one of the situations where you, you're, the spice you're using works very well with your yeast, which I think is probably more uncommon. Yeah. Uh, and then he's, for, for my book, he said, avoid... High quantities and uh, go gradually and use simple mixes, two or three maximum at the same time. Yeah. 
And I'm going to tell you the recipe that he gave me for his beer de Noel. Uh-huh. Uh, and, but it had tiny amounts of spice. Yeah. Like you can't even imagine they had any effect on the flavor. <laughs> right, right, it was right, really right. shocking. Yeah. But I mean, that's exactly the point, right? Which is a good plug for your book, by the way, if you would like to make your own beer de Noel. That's right. Secrets of the Master Brewers, available at fine booksellers near you. That's true. Or online. If or you're, online. If you don't have any fine booksellers near you, which is increasingly <laughs> the case. Yeah. Uh, and you will find a recipe. So um, we can come back to that. Maybe we should. Uh, I think we should. Have our second beer. I think we should. Okay. Yeah. So while you pour the second beer, I would like to take a moment uh, to thank Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring the Beer Vana podcast. As we've discussed previously, Freem is in the midst of a major expansion to a new facility in Cascade Locks. The brewery has been documenting this project in a series of videos, and episode two is out now. These behind-the-scenes shorts have a home video quality in the sense that they give you a lot of uh, local flavor, uh, uh, and they give fans a glimpse inside not just the steps throughout the project, but the unexpected surprises, reactions, and deliberations that happen along the way. You can find the latest episode by visiting YouTube and typing Freem Family Brewers into the search bar. That's P-F-R-I-E-M, Family Brewers. Oh, and now, so Jeff is now struggling with the, and, and, <laughs> with the DuPont bottle. It's Cajun cork, so here we go. Edwina, be careful. Yeah, that's true. I got to be careful with Edwina. No, I was telling Edwina to be careful of you. Yeah, oh, there you go. Oh, nicely done. You might have done this before. Yeah, I can pour beer. I can't. It's it's with Edwina that, that the whole thing gets chaotic. That's some good audio there. That makes me thirsty just. So this one's... Wow, look at that head. Yeah. Good freaking God. And it's just roiling down below too. That's just crazy. Look, look at, at the that. effervescence. It's, yeah, just, just, it's like a tornado in the glass. It it's really amazing. is. It's amazing. Man, that's got to be... I don't know. That's like champagne... But it's uh, but it's doing wild things. That's what I mean. The, yeah, I, I said head, but I meant the the tornado that you're talking about. That's crazy. Yeah, in the in the yeah the, yeah the way that the gas is coming out of the liquid. Uh, no, I mean champagne is kind of like straight up, right? There's just lot, the bubbles just flow straight up from the glass. Maybe it's the glass itself. But, well, it uh, might also be the liquid. I, but I don't think is, about champagne. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just sort of like swirling and whirling in yeah. the glass. It's really quite absolutely wonderful. <laughs> that was super amazing. <laughs> Still going too. But it's uh, a lot lighter. Yep. It's more of the, you know, what you'd expect from the, the Saison DuPont. That's right. It's more of a straw color. It's a little bit darker than that. Yeah. Kind of honey maybe. But it's, um, but it's that same kind of head. Very, very big, thick, pillowy head. Got that little sort of meringue quality at the top. And you can hear that. I'm just, we have our headphones on. I still just hear it crackling over there. Next to my. Yeah, listen to that thing. That sucker's just going. (laughs) I'm going to go in. Yeah, go in. Mm. Oh, wow. Ooh. Mm. That is kind of like a Saison DuPont on, on steroids. Oh yeah, it's uh, mm, the I wonder what malts they use in this. The it's uh got a uh the first impression is 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 a sweet kind of almost um yeah floral, and then and then it's it's of course very dry at the end, which is a characteristic of Dupont. Yep. Hmm. Holy moly! Yeah. 
You've not had this before? I have. Uh, it's been a while. It's been, it, I said a couple of years, which meant probably like <laughs> eight or something, you know. That's the nature of our age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember this being a profound beer. And, you know, there's a thing about uh, sensual experiences. Yes. The the memory is nothing compared to the the actual article. Oh, so, really? Yeah. You, you know, you just... I remember this as being a great beer, a titan of a beer that I loved, but tasting it, I think, oh man, that is so much better than the memory. I just want to drink that all the time. Hmm. That's amazing. You still get kind of like this, um, the ester, the sort of banana ester a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. There's in definitely the banana in there. Yep. I wonder what kind of uh, herbs they use. They may not. I know they... Because uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not getting like a lot. Olivier is not a big fan of, of, of herbs in general, but, but I don't know if he, if he used them. You're not really picking it up. I'm not no. picking it up. I don't, I bet he didn't. No, but you're right. It's probably a different malt bill. Yeah. This definitely has mm. some, a specialty malt in there that, uh, gives it more viscosity and, uh, a kind of. There's a little bit of toast and a little bit of honey. Yeah. Yeah. Honey for sure. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And um, mm. this is a nine and a half ABV. And that, <clears throat> that uh, uh, there's phenolics. The DuPont yeast is just characteristic. Yeah. It just tastes yeah, like DuPont. I know. <laughs> that's why I said it's like Saison DuPont on steroids. Yeah. It's got right. that, it's got that just distinct DuPontness about it. Yeah, it really but does. But then it's, um, it's kind of like a, uh, a heavier malt. Yeah. Sort of more character coming through there. This is a heavier beer in general. I mean, it's 9.5%. So. Yeah. It's just kind of like more, more of everything. What a. What a beer. Yeah, man. but that's but it's interesting because it's very different than the St. Bernardus. Yeah, totally different. I mean, completely different beer. different beer, like right. But both kind of are I think both suggestive of winter and mm -hmm. Christmas. Yeah. That one's going to my head. Woo. <laughs> or one of them is. Something's going to my head. <laughs> well, when you're sipping ten percent and nine point five percent beers, it doesn't take long before it it, it starts going to the noggin, yeah. It goes to the old noggin. <laughs> uh so spices. Yes, let's talk about different spices. We say spice and, you know, I don't know, clove and cinnamon come to mind. Right. But when you think Traditional about- spices, nutmeg. It, yeah. They would put any nutmeg in beer, probably. That would probably be a bad idea. No, I think that'd be a good idea. Probably some <laughs> nutmeg in that St. Bernardus. Yeah, maybe. Could be. Um, but when you actually think about the different things we call spices, mm -hmm. they include things like, all, and this may not be an exhaustive list, but right. um, it's- it's a, uh, it's suggested, uh, flowers. Mm -hmm. So chamomile, yep. for example, uh, herbs, of course, yep. barks, cinnamon, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, seeds, um, uh, coriander is a really common. Cardamom. Yeah. Cardamom, mm -hmm. uh, seeds and pods well, actually. Yeah. So those, those kind of both fit Ca in there. Also cardamom. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, roots, ginger, fruits, and buds, buds. Uh, rose, rose hips, for example. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, all... even, even the juniper, right? Like, right. Yeah. Juniper berries. What the hell is a juniper berry? Well, it's a berry, but I mean, even, I mean, I think people, even... know. is it a berry? Is that a fruit <laughs> or is it something else? Cause it's, it's hard. They're hard. Yeah. But it's something that comes from the juniper bush. Well, but a lot of things come from bushes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Pine cones? You could put a pine cone in there. That's right. <laughs> you put pine cones in But pine cone is not a fruit. No. Uh, so, you know, you're going to treat, in the brewing process, you're going to treat a blossom. So orange blossom is something you, like you, you might think, I want to put some orange blossom in my, in my beer. Yep. You're going to treat that very differently given the, the flavor and ar- aromatic compounds that it has, which are super, super delicate. Mm-hmm. Um, like I wouldn't, I, I, I don't know that I would want very much heat on that, those at all. Uh, that could be very dangerous versus, a, you know, something that's very hard and, 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 you know, root, root like, or, you know, woody, like yeah. a, like a, a clove. Right. Uh, you know, that, that's hard. It's going it, to, it's going to be harder to extract the flavor and aroma from, from something that's got a much more density and, and yeah. hardness. But on the flip side, it's also easy to get too much veg, vegetal quality. Right. And, stuff that's too soft and you're going to break down the cells too easily, right? <clears throat> that's exactly right. So when Alexi sent me his blend, uh, he 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 included, he said, this, this is a classic Belgian stuff. I love this. <laughs> so he says, never use more than two or three in, in your blend. Like that's, you know, you should just use two or three. And then, yeah. he, and then he sent me his recipe and it had four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. It was fantastic. And I, I assume that's because he really gets the interactions of these. This is, uh, yeah. yeah Saint-Fouillon's, uh, Cuvée de Noël has been brewed for a long time. And, you know, you can, when you're, when you're dealing with variables, you can slowly begin to add, uh, when you're just randomly doing it yourself to, to, to start. Every time you add a new hop, I mean, sorry, a new spice, you have new interactions, new flavor, yes. all this stuff happens. So yeah. it's very dangerous. But, it's, sorry, is yeah. it, is his uh, recipe hopped as well or is it just spiced? And, they, and... they are hopped, but okay. uh, they're hopped like Belgian beers, which is to say very little. Very little, yeah. Yeah, just, just enough to, to provide a little background balance. Right. So in his, he, he, he suggested using uh, cinnamon, chamomile, mm-hmm. Kershaw orange peel. Okay. Which is, I guess, kind of a fruit, like in our thing. Peel Cura, is a whole nother Cura thing. Uh, and uh, bourbon vanilla seed, uh, which is that's a vanilla planifolia for those of you. Of you oh yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there could be more than one. But no, but I actually have heard that term before, and I never really knew what it meant. It's a different, a different uh, varietal. That could be a different varietal. So okay. he, he's suggesting this particular varietal. Right. And the amounts he suggested ranged from 0.5 grams uh, per five-gallon batch to 1.5 uh, grams. Wow. And the cinnamon he, he suggested was one gram, which if you were to multiply that out into a 10-barrel batch, you're uh-huh. looking at the thing, but uh, <laughs> for those scoring at home, just think in your mind how, how much that might Wait, be. can I guess? <laughs> uh, you may you may get it right on the nose. Yeah, two point one ounces in a ten barrel batch. So very very parsimonious use of of uh, spice. Which, yeah, which I highly recommend to all the brewers out there. Yeah, and his his recommendation if you are brewing these, whether you're a commercial or, or home brewer, is uh, do your first batch, and if you don't get any flavor, it's okay. Because then you haven't ruined your beer. Right. Uh, then you can go up from there. Sure. And then you begin to go until you hit the flavor threshold and then you decide if it's uh, too much or you yeah, know, just right. Yeah. I mean, my attitude towards spices, I don't really want to taste it that much, especially don't want to taste it sort of in the first impression. What I want is that background spice that kind of just appears after a little while. It's been sitting in my mouth and it kind of just sort of 
somehow magically appears in the background of the beer. And that's what I love about properly spiced. Well, I consider properly spiced beers. hundred percent. I totally agree. And, and I think the people who are masters of the tradition, which is say the Belgians would totally agree with you too. I think mm -hmm. that's what they're going for. And, and my guideline is always, does it enhance the flavors that are present in the beer or interfere with them? Yeah. Yeah. That's another good way to say it. And, and the Belgians always go for that enhancement character. And when we come back to the St. Bernard's, which I poured a little splash in here. <laughs> so uh, you wrote here that uh, in uh, as a brewing advice, do a five minute steep ahead of time. Oh yeah. So that's another thing. This didn't actually come from Alexi. This came from another brewer, which I can't, oh, okay. I can't remember. I should have written that down. It's in the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You got to go by the book. That's, that's a good right. tease. That's a good tease. He said, uh, this brewer said, Somebody from Seattle, I think. Um, a good what what his technique was, and I've tried this, and it, and I think it's very effective. Is to if you want to see what the what the spice will do in a beer, mm -hmm. begin by doing uh, bringing water to a boil, right? Taking it off the boil, this would be like flame out, yep. like the whirlpool, and add the spice and steep it for five minutes uh -huh. as the water you know, cools. Right. And then taste it and see what the flavor impact is. That's before you put it in there. And then you can kind of decide, you know, you, if you put, if you're doing this in a, a half a gallon of water, you can see what you think that, that flavor impact is. Right. I think that's a really good suggestion for trying to understand, you know, kind of like, is it, for example, cardamom is a, is a spice that I think no brewer should use. <laughs> it's just, I, I've almost never had it where it's, where it's, Used appropriately and not overwhelming. Yeah. Cardamom is tough. It's just I really, agree. it's a super strong. 100% in your, <laughs> in your camp there. Yeah. So if, I think if you, if you try this with a, with a spice like cardamom, you'll realize, oh my God, this is a crazy strong spice. I shouldn't use very much of this. And then if, if you use um, a slightly different one, you're going to, you know, find it. Uh, you know, like orange blossoms, you're probably gonna have to use a lot more orange blossoms, especially if you're using them on the, on the cold side. Yeah. To, so. Yeah, those are those are handy techniques for those uh, brewers trying them at home. And you've got the last beer, so uh, yeah, I'm 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 impatient. Yeah, no, this is good because we got we got to bring it back to America to one of the most famous American beers. Yeah, so this is Anchor Brewings. Uh, well, the label says "Merry Christmas, Happy New Year." Yeah, didn't it used to be called like our Christmas ale or our very special I Christmas feel like ale or our something? Special ale, I our thought. special ale. Yeah. yeah. That was weird. Maybe it's still our special ale. Oh, up here, up top, it says our special ale. Okay, there you go. And it's got like a little juniper branch, so there you are. There you are. <laughs> so this is a brewery that that does spice their beer, and they spice it differently every single year. Here, let me help you out there. Yeah, get a wiener right. We had we had to put Edwina away because she was so potent she was picking up our other mics. Nice. To me, Edwina's a female. Look at that. Ooh, so that's dark. That's got a big head. It is, although it, it's it it actually the head is not super dark, and it's somewhat reminiscent of the Saint Bernardus. It is a dark beer with. Uh, if I poured out the Saint Bernardus and this one side by side, it would be a little bit hard to tell the difference. It would, yeah, pretty close. All right, well let's. Yeah, you go first. Let's give it a sniff. Oh, so American. <laughs> the yeasts are just radically different. Yeah, yeah so and, and this has got a little roast, which the Belgians would never use roast. There was no roast in the St. Bernardus, incidentally. Uh, all that color probably came from sugar, so not any contribution of roast. Yeah, no, it doesn't taste roasty at all. 
Which is nice because I'm not a big, super big fan of roast anyway. So the other tradition of spiced ales comes from England, which is totally where Anchor picked their tradition up from. Mm-hmm. And radically different beer. Man. Yeah. And this feels more familiar in terms of what you get in America a lot. Yeah. So this one is a kind of a winter warmer base, although it's not super strong beer. I think it's like five, five and change if memory yes. serves. Yeah. It's much, well, I'll tell you, but it's much lighter than, well, no, maybe I won't tell you. Let's see. Uh, it is dun, dun, unknown. Dun, dun, dun. Five and change. Unknown. I'm, I'm saying five and change. Please write in if I'm incorrect. It uh, is not listed anywhere on labels far as I can tell, although it does say our special ale again on here, so I think that's it. <clears throat> the the oh, wait, 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 wait. Here it is. Oh, we got and it. A little tiny, tiny, tiny. Dip. Okay, what did you call it? Five and change. Holy smokes, that's hard to read. Uh, you are wrong. It is 6.9%. Oh, wow. You, I think it used to be five and change. So I was just, <laughs> that's my prejudice. Back that to our flavor thing. Doesn't warm, that, that wouldn't warm you up. It wouldn't warm you up. I was always critical of it for that reason. But maybe they boosted it a little bit. Yeah. The thing that really st- strikes me is this tastes American. The yeast really tastes like American yeast. Uh, and the... That's uh, absolutely, I think it's the yeast entirely different. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if, if that means that... These taste Bel- these other ones taste Belgian or or what? But man, the the difference is stark. I do, I do. I would say that that if you're a bit familiar with beer, you would pick peg these as Belgian. Absolutely. The the two winter warmers that we had before, the two Christmas beers that we had before, and this one you would peg as not Belgian. Not Belgian. It's a at very all. it's a very neutral yeast. I would say <clears throat> though the uh, the spicing is elegant. I yeah. No, I would agree entirely. I think that's actually quite a nicely spiced beer. Yeah, they've had a lot of experience, and I don't, I don't know if uh, they've come in house to the idea that you shouldn't go, go bombs, you know, yeah, it's bombs a, away for the spices or not. But that that's where they've ended up. It's a remarkably subtle beer. Yeah, but it's definitely a warmer. It's winter. It it gives you that sort of malty richness. Uh, it's not like super roasty, but it's just like that right. sort of... Got rich, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Rich malty flavor in the background and then a nice, really subtle spicing profile. I don't think anything dominates. I mean, I'm not sure what they use, but... Yeah, I'm not either. They they actually, unlike the Belgians, they are a little bit more transparent because they're Americans. And every time they release it, they tell you what's in it. But, All right, uh, well, let's see what this one says. This is the 45th. Well, while you study that, I will just say this. If you want to impress people, uh, when you go to the holiday party, go down to the go down to the grocery store and buy yourself one of these Belgian beers, because it's 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 characteristic that Americans haven't tried them before, and that's getting even more the case because more and more uh, nobody drinks Belgian beers. My experience is, especially for a mixed crowd where you have beer geeks and non-beer geeks, uh, these beers knock people out. So you can get a lot of bang for your buck by bringing one of these to a holiday party. And I recommend that. All right. What's the verdict? Anything? <laughs> no, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of words and not a lot of information. It's almost, it's like that, the, the phones that used to ring so that olds couldn't re- hear, uh, hear them. This is sort of like uh, text that olds can't read. It's not for you. It's it's almost as if it says, this is not your beer, old well, man. Yeah, it, it goes in a lot and sort of, uh, what's interesting is that each year they do a new recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, 
but what I'm trying to figure out is they have a whole thing about a tree. I've already done uh, on Wisconsin. I'm prepared to do O'Tannenbaum, but no one will <laughs> like that. Uh, it's a hand-drawn tree that they put on every year, but I'm not sure it has anything to do with what they put in the beer. So that's the question. <laughs> that was the that's, that's why I'm sitting there. What so, they do is a different tree each year. Yeah. So the label has a new. <laughs> no, tr- they don't do a different tree each year. No, they do. It is the, on the label. Well, la- no, I mean they, they don't label. put it. But they don't put it <laughs> exactly. in there. There's exactly. no tree. There's no it's tree. not entirely clear no. when you read the label what they're talking about. No tree was harmed. In so the, the tree of, of life is their tree on the label this year. Oh, uh, that's so cool. Yeah, but they don't actually say what they put in it. But and th- and that was the whole point of the Christmas tree is a sign of hopefulness because uh, you're in the dark winter and you you kill a tree and bring it into your house as a sign of hopefulness. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> okay, I, I think you've had too many Christmas beers, I'm, my friend. I, I'm pretty sure that's correct. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh, All right. So uh, we're winding down here. Should we get on to our? We should get to the mailbag. Uh, yeah, our mailbag. All right. Yeah. So. Uh, All right. All three uh, of these beers, by the way, I highly recommend. I really do too. And I got to tell you, whoo man, that Dupont. Oh. Yeah, that's true. If I was going to pick one, I would pick the Dupont. Yeah. Uh, avec les bons vieux. Vieux. Sorry. Uh, okay. Excellent work. So uh, Kyle Navis writes in. Uh, you have here notes that indicate. Oh, that's the answer. So don't read those yet. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's my answer. And okay. I because he, it's one of those things <laughs> where uh, he he asked a comp- contemplative question on that. Okay, I got better. I better have an answer for this. So, folks out there, uh, if you're ever wondering whether we rehearse or talk about this stuff ahead of time, the answer, as you know, is completely <laughs> no. But there is some preparation. Uh, Jeff does a little preparation, and I. F- Fudge it up. Okay. In light of, uh, Jack, Kyle Navis writes, in light of the, uh, okay, I'm going to try again. Cal, Kyle Navis writes, in light of all the closures in Portland, would you consider writing a list like your best of Portland? That is something like the most important historical breweries in Portland. I get out there at least annually now, and I always check your best of list as a starting point. But honestly, I'm getting to the stage of my drinking life where I'm much more interested in history and tradition that few places in the U.S. can offer. But it is harder to find a good curation in a way that is much easier for the latest and greatest. Oh, that is an awesome question. It's an awesome question. That's why I didn't want to just like have it lay there and ask, go uh, with our super bad brains and try to come up with some half-assed answer. That is also like pro work there. Thank you. Uh, do we know where Kyle Kyle is from? I no. Okay. I, I think Kyle. I think Kyle's from Bend, but I'm not sure. But he is sure. Portland. All right, uh, Kyle. Kyle has Kyle has written in before. Kyle is uh, one of our our great supporters, and periodically I'll pull out. Uh, I'll say, please send us something in the mailbag. And Kyle is he always does a solid send something in, and he doesn't half ass it. He does great questions like this. So, yeah. So this is usually I, I re- the question I, is like, what I'm, is the I'm best? Sorry, Kyle. I what is the best from. beer now? But this is it's like, also the the beers. What is the most important beer in the past? And how do you how do you do a beer tour of Portland? That's. Uh, Captures history. Captures the history, evocative of the history. So the historical beer tour of Portland, go. All right. So I took notes. Um, I think you, so, you know, Bridgeport is gone. So go back in time and go to Bridgeport. That's the most important brewery in Portland, now Dade. Uh, So that's gone. Uh, What is is there now, by the way? Is there anything happening in that? I have not actually checked that out. I haven't either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and Widmer just got purchased and they don't do brewery. You can't go to the brewery anyway. So, I mean, you know, go, go look at Widmer. Uh, I think they still do tours. Yeah. 
but that that's becoming a weaker and weaker and weaker thread. True. Okay. Uh, so I would say go to Hawthorne. There's a couple of breweries you can go to on Hawthorne, and I think you're going to get a good sense of old Portland. So there's this tradition, this phrase uh, that we say in Portland, old Portland, and it is reflective of a time from, I'm going to say, like the mid-1990s and earlier. And if you're older, then you're going to say, oh, no, 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 that's way too recent. It's from like the mid-1970s and earlier, whatever it is. But in beer terms. In beer terms, it's definitely mid-1990s earlier. Yeah. So uh, your first stop should be the Barley Mill on Hawthorne. This is my answer. Patrick may have a different answer. This is, uh, you, you, you could have... The, it's the McMinimins Barley Mill, and the McMinimins have a lot of historic buildings. Yes, uh, McMinimins for sure. I agree with that. Yeah, go. go. So yeah. why the Barley Mill? The Barley Mill is the first pub they owned, so it's not it's not a brewery, but it's the first pub they owned. Okay, and it goes back to the seventies. It's a it's a cool old pub. Yes. little changed. It is very cool place. Um, you're gonna get you're gonna get a feel of old Portland when you go there. You're gonna get a feel a very particular feel of a particular old Portland. So go there. I, so I'm, I'm I'll agree with the McMinimins for sure. They're yeah. a huge influence on on craft beer in in Portland. Uh, if you want to know the place they first brewed, it would be Hillsdale. Right. I thought you would go that way, so that's why I didn't step on you. <laughs> and which uh, is which is where near our old stomping grounds at Lewis and Clark College. Lewis and Clark College, and also I think uh, stepping on your next one where John Harris got to start. You betcha. Okay, so go. Next well, one. Well, I will say, uh, I'm going to skip that and just okay. say, while you're on Hawthorne, you can just go like eight blocks towards downtown and go to the Lucky Lab. You must go to the Lucky Lab. Which is the heartbeat of uh, Oregon's uh, brew pub culture. Yes, Like exactly. you want to see what brew, brew pub, brew, Oregon, uh, Portland and brew, brew pub culture is like, go to the Lucky Lab. Yep. 1994. Yep. Uh, so it's 25th anniversary. Um that's that's a place to go. Got to go there. Uh, you can also. It's like traveling to 1994, which is also cool. <laughs> so that's that's, that's just cool. <laughs> um, and then the other one is uh, a, a more recent brewery, which Patrick referenced, which is uh, Ecliptic, which which was founded by John Harris, who is one of the oldest, one of the longest serving brewers in the state. He was one of the original brewers for the McMinimins. And then he went to, of course, Deschutes, and then he founded his own brewery, and then he went to Full Sail, and then he founded his own brewery, Ecliptic. Uh, and I think uh, John is a, uh, kind of a model of evolution. Yeah. So he has changed over the time. You're not going to find Mirror Pond and Blackbeat Porter when you go to Ecliptic, but you're going to find what John has done in the 35 years since he started brewing the first time. So that's cool. Yeah. It's definitely, so- you should definitely go there. Like that, he's a. Like everybody in the in the world should come to Portland. They should go visit uh, Ecliptic and and you know like bow to John Harris. <laughs> no, but I actually I think it's it's an excellent point, which is that sort of the the culmination of all his experience and that sort of you can see kind of the the roots of of craft beer in Oregon and how they've evolved and and where they've uh, uh, landed. And this is his first sort of truly independent solo brewery project which yeah is, totally which he's is, the he's the he's the man which is you can sort of see his roots that, that influence everything uh and then this is kind of the the uh the final uh testament and anyway yeah go ahead uh so go there and then uh, of course hair the dog which is in some ways the first modern brewery in in portland uh 
John, um, I'm sorry, Alan Sprintz started brewing very big, very hoppy beers in 1994 when he founded his brewery. Or not, yep. Was it 94 or 96? Whenever he founded his brewery, I think it was 94. Now I'm confused because I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure uh, Lucky Lab was 94. Could they both be 94? Maybe they are. Anyway, <laughs> uh, mid-90s. And uh, he created, he's the Velvet Underground of Portland. Uh, he never sold very many beers. Uh, his, I don't think he ever sold more than a thousand barrels in any given year. And yet uh, the number of people he has influenced is yeah. probably greater than any other brewer in the city. Yeah. So agreed. Uh, definitely check out John Harris. And in that spirit, I would say check out Gigantic, uh, who has Van Havoc, who we had on the podcast not super long ago, who was yeah. also a longtime brewer in Portland. If you he, haven't heard that podcast, you have to go on that right. podcast. It's probably <laughs> the best interview ever. Totally. <laughs> Uh, and I would say, uh, and, and actually his partner, Ben Love, is also a veteran in yeah. the industry. So yeah. these are two guys who are uh, pretty uh, deeply rooted in Oregon and Oregon history and Oregon brewing history. Yeah. And uh, they are brewing Oregon beer. So I would say if you want to taste Oregon beer, you go to Gigantic. All right. So I'm going to throw in one. Yeah. And, and that's that's my answer. I had a chance to preview that. So now... I've tried to filibuster so you could think through what you <laughs> so wanted to add. Well, I would just say that if you really want to think hard about the history of Oregon beer, that you should probably get yourself to Rogue. Oh, yeah, Rogue. Yeah, yeah. Good uh, call. And so Rogue has a – if you're in Portland, they it's a Newport brewery, but they have a a um, uh, a site in the Pearl District in Portland, so you can go to that brewery. And they're a really important Oregon brewery as well. Yeah, 1988 they were founded, so they go back a ways. Yeah, uh, and if you're wondering why Rogue, because they were founded originally in Ashland, I think, is this story. And yeah, then they moved on to, the Rogue River. Yeah, on the Rogue River, and yeah. then they moved to uh, Newport. So if you're wondering where Rogue comes from, that's... And their that. brewery was destroyed by a flood or something weird. Yeah. And then they, like, early on, within the first year or two... And they shot themselves around, and apparently Newport gave them a nice little deal about how they could start a brewery <laughs> on the waterfront and stuff. So That's a Jack Joy story right there. That's that makes Joy total story. sense. Yeah, it's, I'm so sad that Jack passed, because yeah. he would have been the best interview. He would have been better than Van Hag. He's a great guy. This is the thing. We're, we're far enough along that a lot of the history has passed. Yeah. And so you should visit these places quickly. John Harris is not an ancient guy, but you should go visit him. Uh, you should, you know, people get hit by buses. And yeah. few, a lot of the people who got hit by buses weren't brewing in the 1980s like John Harris. Yeah. So uh, go check him out. All right. Next next mailbag is from Rodney Carter. Uh, you write Toronto question marks. So it's not entirely clear where he's from, but he writes, uh, there is one Canadian brewery who made a Captinus? I think so. <laughs> style beer earlier this year. A wonderful folly brewing in Toronto. This is how they described it. A very strong version of a traditional Lithuanian farmhouse ale. Captinus. Uh, brewed with 100% Pilsner malt that was mashed, then baked for five hours to caramelize all those sweet malty sugars. Loudered and then transferred to ferment, no boil, with an escarpment labs Arset Kvek blend. Don't even... Okay. Light, Good job, man. Thank You're you. You're doing great. <laughs> Light toffee and lots, lots of dark fruity notes. Somewhere in between creme brulee and barley wine. It came in at a whopping 12.4% ABV. They <laughs> yeah, did, nice. They did a second batch later where they kept it to 5.3%. I was fortunate to be able to try a glass of the first version when I was in the city this summer and really enjoyed it. So that's fantastic. We... Um, uh, we, we were... Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, actually, sorry. I, you... Is it, Sorry, curious to hear about any other North American breweries trying out these fascinating methods for making 
beer. Sorry, that was on the next page. I didn't yeah, no, it. and we died. The answer is no. I don't know any other breweries that are making this method. That's um, super cool. But it's super cool. And again, um, please email us with these wonderful, uh, or, or contact us with these wonderful stories. Uh, I, I have nothing to add. It's just a great story. And I'm- Folly Brewing fo in Toronto. Folly Brewing in Toronto is on my radar now. There's some amazing stuff going on in Canada. I'm still trying to get Jeff up to Vancouver so we can do that pod. I can't even get to West Portland, man. What are you or, thinking? Or three or four pods out of Vancouver, because I think there's an, there's an amazing craft beer scene going right. on in Canada. All right, 2020, it's you and me, man. Really nice to know about what's going on in Eastern Canada, so that's great. All right, uh, last one, John Hubble. You uh, want me to do it? Uh, yeah, go for it. This one's an, also an easy one. It's it's also just a comment. And please, comments are totally welcome, as John Hubble in, in Washington, D.C. tells us. Uh, a cool report from his hometown after uh, my... Uh, podcast where I mentioned uh, Brasley de la Seine. Mm -hmm. He writes, you may already know this, but we have a beer in Georgetown here in Washington, D.C. called The Sovereign that specializes in Belgian beers. A beer bar. Uh, I'm sorry, a beer bar. And almost always has de la Seine and Saison DuPont on tap. Uh, appropriately timed now since we have a DuPont here. They also host Zwanza Day each year. That's Cantillon's uh, great uh, wild beer bacchanal where they release uh, they send their beer out all over the world, um, but only to specialized pubs. If your travels bring you to D.C., I think it would be your kind of place. Well, John, I will tell you, I have been to the Sovereign, so it is my kind of place, and I totally agree. Ah. And uh, we had uh, great beers there. And I uh, I know uh, uh, Greg Engert, the owner, who you mentioned in the longer part of your email, and he has a series of uh, breweries and pubs in town, or one brewery and, and pubs in town, and... Uh, has done amazing, goes to show one one guy can do in a city uh, so, in terms of promoting good beer. So yeah. I lived in D.C. for a brief period, about six months, which is kind of typical, I think, of D.C. <laughs> Lots of people come right. when I was young, yeah. also typical of D.C. Uh, and there was a famous beer bar at the time, and I can't not remember the name, but it was something to do with bricks. Does that make sense? Do you know this one? Bricks, brick layer or something. Anyway. Uh, well, people who live there, uh, or live nearby who visit more often than I do may know, but I don't. I, I've, I've been to Washington, D.C. I think three yeah. times in my life. So. My point is that uh, D.C. is a weird place because everybody's from somewhere else and everybody's passing through, but it kind of makes it for a neat little melting pot of, or toss salad as you, you might prefer, of, uh, of cultures. I think that's true for beer as well, that it's very sort of open to anything and everything and in, interested in stuff that's going on. So I always appreciate that about D.C. Yeah, DC is actually a pretty good beer town that doesn't get a lot of credit. Yeah, exactly. we'll do a podcast on uh, underrated beer cities at some point. But yeah, anyway, exactly. Yeah. I think I think I think that's what's nice about DC is it's open to everything. Right. Cool. Totally. All right. A few words going out. Once again, we want to extend a hearty thank you to the Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring this episode of the Beer Vana Podcast. You can find them in Hood River, Oregon, and you should. Uh, and you can also find them at freembeer.com. P F R I E M B E E R dot com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. Five stars, please. That helps other <laughs> listeners find the show. You can recommend the show. You can uh, leave a comment as well. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions and comments to jeff at beervanablog.com, or you can send them through Twitter at beervanapod. Or follow Patrick at uh, Beeronomics. Or follow Jeff at the beervanablog.com blog sorry <laughs> got tongue-tied there and tweets at at birvana yeah sorry yeah all right yeah, so, it's that strong beer it's going to my head man the strong beer is definitely going to you, your head you, you blasted through that right really well that's because i stay sharp 
you're sharp, man. Even through the even through the festive season. Yeah. Well, you did yeoman's but, work. But we'll fix that because I'm going to grab the Dupont. All right, I've got which I knew a you were going to grab, but which I, I either, was faster than you. It may, may either be. Uh, no, that one is the anchor. All right. Well, you think so. I but know I'll, so. I'll, I'll, I'll judge. <laughs> All right. I think it's the St. Uh, Bernardus. Uh, happy Christmas. Uh, Merry New Year. And go uh, Badgers. Happy Hanukkah. And all that good stuff. Uh, go Badgers. I'm Wisconsin. I'm Wisconsin. Yes, go Badgers. See you guys. <laughs>